Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. We've had great worship today. We can probably dismiss this service now. But I don't really want to do, want to do that. thought as I was sitting there, um, never followed a fiddle player before. Whew. I followed a banjo player a couple of times. It was pretty, it was pretty difficult. But uh, anyway, I've enjoyed the worship. A uh, good morning. Welcome to our third day of Feast of, Feast of Tabernacles 2020. We're so glad that you're here, and I'm glad and I'm excited for Brother Walker that he's finally learned uh, the verse for this week. Uh, that was good. I learned something in his children's sermon as well. I knew that manna came down from heaven, but I had no idea about the ice cream cones. That'll give us something to pray about, won't it? The voice of rejoicing is in the tents of the righteous. I thought about that, and I wanted to test that theory, and... um, So I spent some time last night walking around the campground listening to the sounds from your tents. Does that make anyone nervous? (laughs) I'm not sure about sounds of rejoicing, but I will tell you some sounds that I heard. Uh, From many of your tents, I heard very recognizably the sound of sawmills running. So... Uh, Some of you were sawing some logs last night, and I I heard that and witnessed that. I also heard from at least a handful of tents. uh, It was hard to recognize, but I I think I finally put my finger on it. It must have been the sound of a, sound like a pre-1970 Evinrude outboard engine (laughs) with a filed spark plug. I heard chainsaws, I heard weed eaters. The most troubling one, and I heard this in a tent near the bathhouse, it sounded like one of two things. It sounded like a bear, perhaps, or a Bigfoot. As I thought about that, we don't really have bears, I think, in this part of Texas, so it must have been a Bigfoot. And I say that, I caution you parents, be careful of your children around the bathhouse. There could be a furry mythical creature living among you and you don't know it. Those are sounds that I heard, and maybe that's what I heard from the tent. But let me tell you what I've seen with my eyes this week. Thinking of joy and rejoicing, um, two and a half days for us now into this feast and this in our third day, Our first Feast of Tabernacles, by the way. Uh, What what I can describe and what I've seen with my eyes, I think I can describe in one word, and that word is joy. Um, The joy of Yahweh's people gathered together in one place with one purpose, honoring one creator in his time. I've seen that and I've witnessed that. I've witnessed the joy of families being together. Uh, I love to watch my friend, Brother Justin, throw his baby. (laughs) And there's some others that do that. It gives me great joy, even more so when he catches her. (laughs) Because my heart drops for just a minute. But I remember, my son's 27 years old, but I remember when I used to do that with him. And it brought me great joy, and obviously it brought him great joy. And so I love to see that. Uh, I've experienced great joy this week, fellowshipping with friends. Uh, Great joy meeting new friends. We've witnessed twice and seen the joy and the faces of people who have accepted Yeshua Messiah as their Savior. I felt my, in my heart, as I did this morning, 
the joy of us worshiping together. This whole week has been set apart for us so that we might draw nearer to Yahweh in joy and that we might experience that joy that's found in a relationship with his son, Yeshua Messiah. We've put aside our work and all of those things for a whole week so that we can do that and experience that kind of joy, and it has been great. The Bible has much to say about joy, as Brother Ferris said and as Brother Wendell have already said. I didn't count it, but somebody did in about 250 references in the Bible of joy and rejoicing. May the ale of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Rejoice in hope. It says, rejoice in Yahweh always. Again, I say rejoice. In your presence, there's fullness of joy, it says. A joyful heart is good medicine. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Just a few of the 250 references that you'll find in your Bible, on and on again, the Bible speaks about joy and about rejoicing. And here's what I know. I know that it's easy here this week in this place to experience that kind of joy. Would you agree? We see it all around us. If you can't find joy here this week, then you might be broken. Joy. But I also know this, and I want to share it with you this morning. Next Monday is coming. You know what I'm saying? We experience the joy of this week and our hearts are full, and we're drawing nearer to one another, and we're drawing nearer to Yahweh, and we're experiencing the fullness of that joy. And it's easy for us this week to unplug from the cares of the world and from our jobs and from all of the things that are going on outside of this place. But the reality is this, we soon have to go back to the world. We soon have to go back home. And while this week we can forget about the troubles and the cares and the responsibilities and the trials of life and all those things for this short time, soon enough we have to go back and do adult things, don't we? We have to go back to our jobs. You know what I wish of, about a vacation? I wish you could take a vacation. And then I'd like to take about a week off before I went back to work. And then that first week back, I'd really like to work half days just to sort of <laughs> ease my way back. Anybody follow me? Anybody say hallelujah? Somebody, please. But next Monday, we have to leave this place and we have to go back to our jobs and the responsibilities and all the troubles and the cares that are in the world. We have to go back to the real world. What then? What then? This week our joy is full, but next week, what will we do? How do we act and how will we react when life resumes after the feast? And that's what I want to try to share with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I love the book of James. Some books are very spiritual and theological. The book of James is very practical. James doesn't beat around the bush with what he says. He just comes right out and says it, and it's so simple, and it's so plain. Uh, 
And so I want to share with you this morning, as we consider going back to the real world next week, I want to share with you a message about turning your trials into triumphs. James chapter 1, verse 2 it says, my brethren, count it all joy. There's that word. Do you see it? It's used in a very impractical way here, I think. It sounds like it anyway. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. If you have a King James Bible, it says, when you fall into divers, trials, and tribulations. What an unusual word, divers. It's an old word. Today we'd say diverse trials and tribulations. Knowing that the testing or the trying of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Divers trials and temptations. Boy, if that doesn't describe the year 2020, I don't know what does. <laughs> if we had spoke in January or February and I told you any of a number of things that we have seen this year, you would think I was a complete idiot <laughs> to think that um, you have to have your temperature checked before you go into some buildings. You'd say that's crazy uh, to think that I saw, to think that they would pull kids out of school and homeschool kids and that they would make them wear a mask in their home. And I'm not saying if, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. I'm not beating that up. I'm just saying um, the world's gone crazy this year, hasn't it? You know, there's uh, race, war, and riot and our riots in our streets. We've got the craziest presidential election of our time around the corner. Divers trials and tribulations going on in the world around us. That is the world that we live in. And this week, we don't need to worry about that. That's outside of where we're at. But next Monday, you will be plugged back into that world. And I want to share with you a few ideas this morning, a few thoughts about that. The first is this. I want to share with you the reality of trials in your life. The reality of trials in your life, hard times, issues, diverse tribulations that you may go through because you might say, well, you know, it's not going to happen to me. Notice what he said in that second verse. My brethren, count it all joy when you go into these various trials. He didn't say if. He didn't say you might. He didn't say it's highly probable, maybe, sometimes. And what he said is count it all joy when you go through these various trials and tribulations of our life. Can I tell you, life is full of problems. It's full of issues. And none of us are immune from that. Yeshua wasn't immune to it. He had his own trials and tribulations. The disciples certainly weren't immune to it. Paul wasn't immune to it. You and I are not going to be immune to it. I want to share... Turn backwards in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Brother Wendell talked about this, I think, yesterday, but it was just at the time that our feed shut off in the overflow room, so I'm not sure what he said or where he went, and since I didn't hear him use it, I'm going to feel free to use these verses today. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 Paul speaking, he said, for the Jews, from the Jews five times, I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. 
In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the cities, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and beside all the other things, Do you think he was a man who was accustomed to trials and tribulations in his life? Read the book of Acts, and this is what I can tell you. I don't know how great a preacher Paul was because every time he preached, people wanted to kill him. <laughs> he must have been a terrible preacher with a great message. You know, listen, to me, beloved, know this today. Today might be the day that you're on top of the mountain. And, and, and I praise Yahweh for those days, and I hope that you do as well. But know this. Some days we're going to spend in the valley, okay? Some days we're going to spend in the ditch. That is life, and that's the reality of life, and that's the reality of tribulation in our life. I've lived long enough to know that and understand that. I remember being a young man and I thought I had the world by the tail and boy, it was all going to be, you know, life was going to be roses from here on out. And that's not exactly true. The reality is these times come. Sometimes, by the way, sometimes our greatest triumphs in life are followed by our most grievous trials. Can I tell you that? And I say that to say this to you. This week you're full of joy and this week you're pumped up. Next Monday you're going to be a target. We do have an enemy who would wish to steal that joy that you've got this week. Sometimes our, our greatest triumphs are followed by our most grievous trials. Think of the disciples and Yeshua. You remember when they fed 5,000 with one kid's little lunchbox? Imagine being one of the disciples and seeing that. Remember, they passed out the baskets. They knew what was in those baskets. A handful of fish and a couple of hard biscuits, and that was it. And they kept digging, and guess what? Fish kept coming out and biscuits kept coming out. They knew. Don't you imagine that they must have been so pumped up Imagine witnessing that. Boy, they were walking on clouds that day. But do you know where they were at that night? Do you remember? They head out on a ship. Yeshua sends them on by themselves, and they, they sail right into a huge storm. Stormed all night, rocking that ship back and forth, and they were afraid for their lives. You see, they went from here to here in an instant. Do you remember? That was when they saw Yeshua walking on the rock water. And Peter said, oh, if it's really you, if it's really you, call to me, he said, and I'll walk on the water. Let me remind you, <laughs> this is free. We like to beat Peter up because he started to sink. But let me tell you this. I'll tell you what he did. At least he got out of the boat. Hey, and he, I don't know how far, but I know this. I know he walked on water. Now listen to me. That's not a natural thing. For you to do. I learned to swim the way they taught kids to swim back in the old days. We didn't have YMCA and all those fancy things. They threw me in the river and it was sink or swim. Your natural inclination if you go in the water is to at least dog paddle. Anybody do that? Peter didn't dog paddle. Peter stepped out of the boat and started walking on the water. So before you knock him for sinking, know at least he walked. Hey, 
Again, this is free. That's what some of us need to do. You know, some of us need to get out of the boat and start walking. Start living out that faith that Peter had at least for a short time. But then we know what happened. It said when he got out there walking, he saw that the waves were high and the winds were high and he began to sink. And he began to sink. You see, Peter's, one of Peter's greatest triumphs was followed by one of his greatest failures. And that's the way life is for you and me. Today, you're going to be on top of the mountain and tomorrow you may find yourself in the valley. I'll tell you a quick story about the feeding of the 5,000. Um, we used to do missions work in Romania and I witnessed that. We ministered in a little village church one night and we would take toys and little matchbox cars and Beanie Baby toys and hats and gloves we'd give to the kids and someone would tell us about how many kids were there and, and we had prepared big gift bags for 25 children. Hats and gloves and matchbox cars and Beanie Babies. And there were over 100 children present that night and each one of them got a toy and hats and gloves. I don't know how it happened, but I felt like those disciples reaching into that basket for the fish. I'm the one that was handing them out and I kept digging in the bag and, and, and a toy kept coming up. And here's what I thought. <clears throat> I thought, if Yahweh thought that much of those kids in Romania to give them a beanie baby or a matchbox car, how much must he think of us? You see, I witnessed that with my own eyes. Another freebie for you. Um, the reality is trials happen, bad times happen, things happen. Sometimes they come singly, sometimes they come in droves. Have you ever had so much on you, you said something like this, it's more than I can bear. I don't know how I can go on. That's the truth of life. Bad things do indeed happen to good people every day. Joel Osteen wrote a book called Your Best Life Now. Can I tell you that's a myth? Can I also tell you I've never heard him use scripture out of context. Do you know why? Never heard him use it. <laughs> Your best life now is a myth. There's no doubt about that. You know, the Bible says, if in this life only we have hope, we're above all men to be pitied. Isn't that what it says? This life is full of trouble. It's full of trial. Yeshua said it. In this world, you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer, he said. I've overcome this world. See, that's the reality that we live in. Beloved, know this today. Life's full of joy and sorrow. It's full of laughter and heartache. It's full of triumph and trials. That's the reality. The truth is, though, our hope, our triumph, our joy in those times comes in this. It comes in our response to these trials. It comes in our response to these trials. But James said, count it all joy when you go through various trials and temptations in your life. Count it all joy. He wouldn't have said that, by the way, if there wasn't many ways that we can react. Our response today, particularly response in hard times in our life, it says a lot about our spiritual, spiritual condition, doesn't it? You see, when they come, and they will, we have a choice in how to react. Pastor Ferris said that on Sabbath. He said, we choose to be thankful. You wake up this morning, and you choose the attitude that you're going to have. So when these trials come, when these issues come, when these problems come, 
how are you going to react? Some of our choices, and I say our, some of our choices are this. Uh, this is one of my favorites. At least I'll be man enough to admit. Uh, one of my favorites is anger. Boy, I like to get mad. And sometimes I just want you to leave me alone because I've worked hard to get that mad. I want you to leave me alone and let me enjoy it. You know anybody like that? My wife's back there saying amen. You can get mad. Some people like to blame somebody else when troubles come. Not my fault. It's, it's, it's somebody else's fault. It's the society that I live in. It's the neighborhood that I grew up in. It's this, that. It's a million other things. Can I tell you, you need to own your own sin. It's not somebody else's fault. Some people want to have a pity party. Some people want to deny it. Some people think they can do it on their own. Again, this is me. You know, I don't want to ask for help, don't like to ask for help. I'm just going to buckle down and try harder and, you know, dig a deeper hole. Your reaction to trials in your life say a lot about you. I thought, and I just thought of this this morning, um, I thought sometimes for us when we're going through troubles and trials and issues in our life, we can be like one of four different animals that I see a lot here in West Texas. I live on County Road by three, four, four and a half miles out of County Road, and you very seldom drive between my house and the highway without seeing any of a variety of wildlife. And so I'm going to share with you these four animals and their reaction, and you might find yourself falling into one of these categories. The first and the one we probably see the most often, the most common, would be the deer. Some of us have that old deer in the headlights look. You know what I'm talking about? We have so many deer around our house, we literally have to stop in the road and turn our headlights off for like five minutes and hope they go away. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But when those headlights hit them, that unexpected car coming around the curve, their eyes get about that big and they, they're so fearful that they can't move. Some of you may be like that. Some people may be like a squirrel. I don't have a whole lot of squirrels, but if you run up on a squirrel, here's what they do. And isn't this crazy? So the squirrel's on this side of the road, and I'm giving him plenty of room. I'm in the ditch on the other side. What does that squirrel do? He runs that way. And I go the other way, and what does that squirrel do? He runs that way, and he goes that way. You know, and he's just back and forth. Some of you are like squirrels. <laughs> Listen. Something comes along unexpected in your life, some trial, some tribulation, some issue that you didn't expect, and you're so indecisive, you don't know where to go. You're back and forth and flitting here and fritting there and over and over. And then there's the possum. My wife's favorite animal is the possum. True. Here's what a possum does when something comes that he don't expect. You know what a possum does? He rolls over and he plays dead. How does that work? Really? That's the best defense mechanism that a possum has. It doesn't work for him. Listen, brethren, let me share with you. It's not going to work for you either. And then finally, and this is one of my favorites. Finally, there's the skunk. They're the cutest things, though. So let me tell you about the skunk. Here's the way a skunk reacts. Something pops up unexpected in his life that he doesn't know. Here's what the skunk does. He turns his back on it, and he raises a stink. Huh? Listen, that's the way some of you act. When things happen, 
in your life. And it's true. So you can do any of those things when these trials come. Or let me share with you this. This is what you can do. You can say Yahweh has allowed this in my life for some reason. I don't understand it. I don't know what it is. I can't see the end of it. But I want his purpose to be worked out in my life. Does that make sense? I don't know why, don't know what, don't know what for, but what I want is his purpose to be worked out in my life. And can I tell you, if you say that, you have to say this, even if it hurts. Even if it hurts, because the easy part's easy. That's why they call it easy. It's the hard part that we deal with. And here's what I can tell you. I can tell you that there has to be these trials and these tribulations and these issues in our life. They're there for a reason. They're there, according to James, to build our faith. If it were all easy, then we'd become like spoiled and entitled children. Wouldn't we? Another freebie, no extra charge for this, but let me tell you, if you give your children everything that they want, every time that they want it, you're doing them a disservice because you're not building in them character. You know, if they think they can pitch a hissy fit, y'all know what a hissy fit is? <laughs> If they can pitch a hissy fit and get what they want, you're doing them a disservice. They need what we need. They need some hard times every now and then. I heard Keith say you're going to come upside one of them's head up here if he's acting up. I always thought, by the way, if you had a group of children and you did that to just one in the beginning, the rest of them would come in line so good. <laughs> Wouldn't they? If it were easy, we'd be spoiled. Turn forward about four pages in your Bible. First Peter chapter one. Uh, verse three. First Peter one verse three. Blessed. Be the El and Father of our Master Yeshua Messiah, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Yeshua Messiah from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of Elohim through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Can I tell you that I'm an heir of Elohim and a joint heir with Messiah. There is laid up for me an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away. If you believe that, say to your neighbor, hallelujah. hallelujah. I wish it stopped there, but it doesn't. Because this is what it says. Having just learned that, it says, verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, and we do. Though now, oh, for a little while, if need be, really, he's really building up, isn't he? Though now, for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, there's that word, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, and though it's tested by fire, that it may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. Boy, I love that part about that inheritance that's put up for me. We said hallelujah. But if we believe that, then we have to believe the second part of that, which says even though for now, if need be, you're going to be, have to go through these various trials in your life, that your faith might be found genuine but it says, if you believe that, say to your neighbor, ouch. <laughs> you see, I mean, isn't that the, the reality, though? You see, 
And here's what I can tell you. The choice is yours on how you react when these times come. You can choose to be bitter. You can choose to be angry. You can choose self-pity or you can understand that perhaps Yahweh is trying to do a greater work in you than you think is even possible. Sometimes it hurts, but let me remind you, it takes a lot of pressure and a lot of heat to turn a coal, coal into a diamond. And I think that's what Yahweh's trying to do in our life. You know, he's trying to make us into something that we can't even imagine. He's trying to make of us a perfect vessel if we'd just be willing. Your response to these times of trial and trouble and tribulation in your life, I think, determine the shape of that vessel. I thought of that, and I wanted to share a few thoughts. Uh, turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. Verse 1, it says, The word which came to Jeremiah from Yahweh, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I'll cause you to hear my words. And then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, and so he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good for the potter to make. Yahweh's trying to teach Jeremiah a lesson really about the nation of Israel in that he's the potter. He's the creator. He's the one with the design. He's the one with the idea. He's the one that knows what it should look like. You see, and can I tell you, he's the one, the sovereign one, who has all the power and all the authority to destroy it and start all over again if he wants to. Do you hear me? The clay is Yahweh's the potter, and we're the clay, and we are. The clay's responsibility is simple. The clay first needs to be pliable. You know what I'm saying? You ever see a potter work at a wheel? It's one of the most amazing arts for me. They get that wheel spinning and they wet their hands and what starts as just a lump of clay with just what seems like the lightest pressure turns into all these different shapes, glasses, vases, bowls, you know, all of these things. You see, it's pressure that turns it into what the potter has in store in his mind for it. Does that make sense to anybody? Can I tell you, we serve a sovereign creator who in his mind knows what the finished product of your life is supposed to look like. And here's how he works you from a lump of clay into his masterpiece. He does it with pressure, you see. The clay doesn't determine the speed of the wheel, does it? It doesn't determine how long it stays on the wheel, does it? I wish it did because I'm gonna tell you, and again, if you know me, you'll at least, at least know that I'm honest and transparent. Listen to me, I'm going to tell you, there's been some times in my life and some things that I've been going through that I wanted to get off of the wheel. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I, I wanted to say, you know, what I wanted was I wanted things in my time, right? You know, I, I, I thought that Yahweh should show up exactly the way I wanted and at exactly the time that I wanted. Anybody ever been there? One person in the room knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> Your timing is not his timing, and you'll stay on the wheel as long as he 
requires for you to stay on the wheel. It don't mean it's going to be pleasant. It don't mean it's going to be fun. Thought about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You remember? Lazarus got sick and they sent for Yeshua that he might come and heal him of his sickness. And he tarried, didn't he? He didn't go immediately. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus has been dead four days. Mary and Martha both said the same thing to him. Yeshua, if you'd just been here, you know what they were saying? You're late. We knew when you should have showed up and you didn't show up and now all is lost. Do you, do you remember what he said to his disciples, the reason why he tarried? He said, so that your faith might be built, so that you might believe. And so he shows up in their mind four days late to a man who was dead and rotten, stinking in the ground. Beyond hope, I'm going to tell you why I think he waited four days. Because Lazarus needed to be good and dead. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you remember when he said, take the stone away? And somebody said, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> you remember? I wouldn't do that if I was you. Because he's been dead for four days. There was a crowd Boy, all the mourners were there and everybody. And this is what they were saying. Y'all about to see a train wreck when they opened this grave. Because nobody in their mind could have pictured what was going to happen. And Yeshua said, open the grave. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And guess what? A dead and rotten man four days in the ground walks out of that grave in the sight of all of those people. And do you remember when he prayed to Yahweh before that? He said, he said, do this that they might believe. You see, they thought he was four days late. I'm telling you, he's right on time. And when you think you need to get off the wheel, listen, no, he's going to be right on time in your life as well. Yours and in mine. The reaction to these trials and these issues in our life. The reason for these trials. Let me say this and I'll try to hurry. Back to James. The reason for these trials, tribulations, and issues that go in our life. James says chapter 3. Here's the reason. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. First, he said there are two reasons for trials. First is the testing of your faith or the trying of your faith. It's what Peter was talking about. It's the idea of a metal worker who's burning away the impurities that are in your life that your faith might be perfect. Ever see those shows where they build swords and knives and stuff? It's pretty interesting. Here's what they do. They heat that metal and they beat that metal and they quench that metal. And then they do this. They heat that metal and beat the metal and quench the metal. And then they do this. They heat it and they beat it and they quench it over and over and over. Burning out and hammering out the impurities that are in that iron or in that steel. And that's what the trying of our faith does. Second thing, the reason for these trials is that it produces patience, he says. Patience. Perhaps one of the worst translated words in many of your Bibles. Patience. The word literally means endurance. What it produces is endurance or perseverance. You know, if you're a runner or you're an athlete, you need endurance for a reason. You need it to go the distance. Amen? Can I tell you with our faith, the same thing is true. We need endurance in our faith to go the distance. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You ever heard that? I was in the Army and worked around helicopters, and we would say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, except tail rotors. Tail rotors kill you. Right? <laughs> if anybody knows anything about a helicopter, trying to where faith builds endurance, it builds perseverance. Our faith is, is tried, it's tested. 
the impurities burned out for a reason so that it might grow stronger. So that it might grow stronger. If you're a runner or a weightlifter, an athlete of any kind, you know the principle here, step by step you grow stronger. Little by little you build endurance. If you join the gym today and you go and walk on a treadmill, you might be able to walk 10 minutes if you keep it up by this time next month, you might be able to walk 30 minutes. If you keep it up in six months, you might be running for two hours. You see, it's endurance. It's step by step. It's little by little. Endurance is the result of continued effort. It's pushing yourself to the limit and then raising the limit. You see, that's what Yahweh is trying to do in our lives and with our faith. The Bible says that we're to be people who walk by faith and not by sight. That's easy to say and hard to do. And I'll tell you why. Because that kind of faith, you don't just wake up in the morning and you have it. You know, it doesn't come to you immediately. You know, it's the kind of thing that, that you have to have endurance with. It's the kind of thing that that you build up to, you know, through life. That's the way that our faith is built. Tested beyond what we think is possible, and in the, in the end, that that seems impossible becomes reality in our life. It's Yahweh trying to build in us a dependence on Him and not on ourselves. And can I tell you, He's always faithful. Is He not? He's always faithful. I look back in my life and I'll tell you why my, and, and by the way, my faith is still being built. It's not perfected by any means. But I have confidence today in Yahweh for this reason, because I can look back over my life and I can see times when something happened in my life that only he could have done. You know what I'm saying? If you've ever been without a dime, you know, two weeks before payday and no groceries in the house and something happens miraculous and, you know, you get such a blessing. And if you've ever been there, you'll know what I'm saying. You know, I remember when Rhonda was pregnant. I don't know how we lived for that year. I don't know. I don't know, you know, where or how the only thing I can say is Yahweh was there present making a way in that time. You see, I look back on all those worst days and all those days that I thought I couldn't go on, and this is what I know. I went on on each one of those days. I've survived 100% of the worst days that I've ever had. And the reason is not because I'm strong or good. It's because, it's, it's because you're always faithful. And this is what I know. I know I can trust him today because I can trust him in the past. And I can trust him with my future because I trust him today and I trusted him in the past. In the past, you remember what little young David said to the Goliath, this nine-foot giant that nobody had fought, the whole army was scared. And he said to them, he said, Yahweh has delivered me from the Paw of the lion and the mouth of the bear, you remember that? And on this day, he's going to deliver you into my hands. That's a bold statement for a kid to make. But he knew he had faith. His faith had endurance because he had seen in the past how Yahweh had blessed. And that's what we need to do today. The Bible says, and we know that all things, not some, most, kind of, sort of, but that all things work together for good to those who love Elohim and are called according to his purpose. All things, that's all the good things and the good times, amen? It's also the bad times and the bad times, and you're always faithful. Shared with my usher group, one of my favorite <clears throat> passage of scripture talking about the faithfulness of Yahweh. It's in the book of Hosea chapter 6 verse 3. 
It says, your going forth is as established as the morning. Well, doesn't that sound simple? Your going forth is as established as the morning. You say, preacher, what does that even mean? This is what I mean, what it means. It means, Yahweh, you're as faithful every day as the sun is to come up. I've watched the sun come up every morning since I've been here. Really, the last six months, I've probably seen the sun come up every day. Can I tell you, it hasn't missed a day. <laughs> I did the math this morning. Listen, I can tell you for a fact, 19,829 days in a row, the sun's come up. 19,829, because that's how many days I've been on this earth. Y'all don't be adding that up to see how old I am. 19,829, it's going to come up tomorrow, amen? Even on a cloudy day, dark day, snowy day, rainy day, stormy day, tornadoes, even when you can't see it, you know it's there. Can I tell you, that's the faithfulness of Yahweh in our life. Even when you can't see it or when you don't feel it, even when it seems like something else is something's missing, we know that he's there. Because he's faithful. I have faith. A faith that endures. A persistent faith. Because I follow a faithful heavenly father. But we have to let it run its course. Because he says verse 4. Let patience or endurance have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We want an immediate solution sometimes to our problem, don't we? I already shared, you know, we want Yahweh to show up on our time, on our schedule right now, when we want and how we want. The book of Hebrews says that we're to run this race with patience. You gotta run. You got to run your race and you got to run it with patience or endurance. Here's what we need. We need a little, as old people where I would come from say, we need in our faith a little stick to itiveness. Huh? That's a good word, isn't it, Norma? What we need is a little stick to itiveness. There's no pill you can take to have perfect faith. There's not a course that you can take. It's built on a life of trial. It's built with endurance day by day and step by step. Brethren, count it all joy next week or the following week, or the following week, or when, whenever it is in your life when trials and tribulations come your way, count it all joy, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Yahweh bless you.